0: All right, we're in Nehemiah chapter 7 tonight, so if you want to make your way to Nehemiah chapter 7, and again, I encourage you guys that are watching online to follow along with your Bible and make notes and read everything that's there and make it all yours, so I encourage you guys to do that. We are continuing our study through the Old Testament, Nehemiah, and it's been a great book and just some great lessons in the book of Nehemiah, it's a uh, Continue to be so, so I've been enjoying the time in it. All right, well, let's go before our Heavenly Father in prayer, and then we'll pick it up in verse 1, chapter 7. Father, we do thank you for this time, Lord, um, uh, and uh, just just to spend time hearing from you and in your Word, and Lord, hearing... um, lord you you know just you speak to our hearts through your word lord you are you know what we need to hear you need to you know what uh, what we need to uh, uh, Lord for you to speak to us uh you know all the issues and problems and circumstances and questions and leading that we have father we know you have all the answers we know that you speak to us so often through your word lord and so we trust that you will just do that tonight father as we Continue our study through the book of Nehemiah, Lord. Just bless this time, uh, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. amen. So, amen. So, um, again, we have been talking about the pressures from the outside. Remember, uh, there was the 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 people from the surrounding nations wanted to didn't did not want to see the walls of Jerusalem rebuilt. They did not want to see the nation have a safe place. And a place for them to gather and meet, and, and, and to be really become a nation again, and they've done everything uh, they really could. There was all kinds of threats uh, from the outside, certainly. In many ways, they you know had to work with one hand and have a a, a weapon in another. That's that's how worried they were about them coming in. And then we even talked about last time uh, when we met, there was some important Jewish families that had married into non-Jewish families, and specifically the family of uh, some of those leaders who were threatening Nehemiah and and the people rebuilding the wall. Uh, They had married into his family, and they were kind of communicating everything to them, and they were kind of spies. And again, we talked about and finished up last time, they were choosing really their family ties over their tie and their relationship with, with God. You know, they, they put those ties and their family ties above that. And of course, we know that the, the Bible has a lot to say about that. And certainly, you know, Jesus had a lot to say about that. And um, they, they were worried about those things. And we finished up with that last time. Um, and again, uh, uh, we, we saw that the progress in 52 days, the walls were up. And, uh, and the only thing left to do was to hang the gates then, uh, to put the gates and the doors going into the city as we've talked about. And so, uh, verse 1 tells us, Then it was when the wall was built and I had hung the doors, when the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed, that I gave the charge of Jerusalem to my brother Hananiah, and Hananiah, the leader of the citadel, for he was a faithful man, and feared God more than many. So uh, here we have that everything's ready to go now. They have the gates up, uh, you know. Now they can control who comes in and out of the city, and the marauders from that would pass through the land, or any of the other uh, small contingencies of nations that were around them couldn't just come in and take and do whatever they wanted to do at this point. And Nehemiah knew eventually he would have to go back to serve the king of Persia. He, he made a commitment to the king and the queen Artaxerxes that he would come back at a certain period of time. I, I think it was uh, 12 years or so, which is a pretty good period of time. Uh, but I'm not sure what that entailed and what that counted. But he, he had to go back. And so, you know, he's getting things ready and running in the city. I think that was probably part of this. And the first thing he does is get the gatekeepers, singers, and the Levites appointed. So, again, the gatekeepers think of them as kind of the police force of the day. There was no such police force, but typically the gatekeepers were those that were that worked security, we would say today, or the police force. You know, they would they would make sure who's coming and going in and out of the city, and they had gatekeepers for the temple area as well. So, you know, he's setting that up, and then he's setting up those that are going to be the singers, those that are going to lead in worship, uh, you know, those that are a part of worship, that, that, you know, they were going to make sure all that was set up for the temple area and, and for the city, and then also uh, the spiritual leadership as well, to make sure everything was in place. Now, the temple had been built, uh, you know, and completed uh, a number of years earlier Uh, but again, now more people are coming in and obviously the city is, uh, the walls are complete and probably more people would come in to visit. And As we'll see, Nehemiah is going to try to get more people to move into the city as well. And so he's getting all those things in order. Very important, he's doing that. And and then notice that he calls out his brother, Hananiah and Hananiah, um, both kind of have the same root word of grace in there, by the way, that these guys were faithful to God, and they feared God. I like what one person uh, said, um, uh, 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 this quote, it says, the greatest ability is dependability. I, I, I thought that's great. Uh, you know, it's a great important thing here. These guys were just faithful. They were faithful to serve the Lord. Uh, uh, they had a fear of God uh, rather than the fear of man. Remember, there was a lot of threats from the outside, and what they, what they feared more than all the threats and all the problems and all the, the worries was the Lord Himself. And again, I like that. The greatest ability is dependability. These guys truly feared the Lord, and because of that, he knew they would be faithful in all that the Lord had called them to do. Remember, there was many who were who weren't faithful to the Lord. They were faithful to their family ties, or they were faithful to their own pocketbook, if you would. They were faithful to their own ways and their own designs and what they wanted to do. They were faithful in those things, but uh, you know, not faithful in the Lord's work. And so, again, Nehemiah wanted somebody again who was, you know, uh, be ruling and kind of governor over the city. Uh, an important place that feared God above everything else. And they had worshiped and served, and they were faithful. So all that is set up into place here. And then verse 3 says, And I said to them, Do not let the gates of Jerusalem be open until the sun is hot, and while they stand guard. Then shut them and bar the doors and appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, one at his watch, stationed, and another in front of his own house. So what we see next is, he gives them instructions, okay, listen, you know what, we're, we're, we have fewer people, and uh, we're not going to open the gates until it's daylight, and we can see who's coming in and out, the idea is it's, you know, it's daylight, you can identify uh, any enemies coming this way or that way, and again and then he had them at night when everything was locked up to kind of stand to stand guard if you would at the places um, even in front of their own home. They took some you know this is my home I'm going to defend it and and it's part of the city and you're going to incorporate that together. Just remember the enemy wants to seek in and so we need to be prepared. The enemy's always looking for a foothold in our lives, you know, to be disappointed in this, or wanted this, or that, or this, or he works his way into so many different areas. And, uh, you know, again, we just need to be faithful and continue to um, protect what the Lord has accomplished. And um, so the enemy doesn't come come out and, and take it over. And that's exactly what's... Nehemiah is doing here. He's just making sure that what the Lord has accomplished will continue to go forward and go forth and uh, you know, not allow the enemy to come in and disrupt all that the Lord wanted to do. And so he's, again, making sure all of that was going on. Uh, you know, Again, a great leader, great spiritual leader uh, as well here in the heart of Nehemiah. He's doing that. But he has a problem, right? Verse four. Now the city was large and spacious, but the people in it were few, and the houses were not rebuilt. Now, again, you know, one of the problems is that that, that you know they were the you know everybody wanted to kind of live in the suburbs. It was nicer. It was a better place to live and everything. And there wasn't very many people in in the city, and of course they they focused most of their time on on building the wall. And now the houses and other buildings in the city would have to be rebuilt. But again, you needed people to to do that and to occupy them. And uh, again, this was going to be another challenge and another difficulty and another thing that, um, you know, that that Nehemiah was. Trying to encourage people to come back into Jerusalem, and, and he knew it wasn't going to be easy. Listen, there was going to be there's threats from the outside still; they hadn't gone away, and we have to remember that you know anything that we do for the Lord, there's always going to be some sort of battle, you know, some attempt to snare us or to put us down or to stop what we're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, or to get it that thought, "Well, I can't go through with this, or man, I have to redo this, and to move into the city would be such a big deal, and it's such a burden and or you know that that makes them more of a mark on my back because I'm there, and they're gonna want to attack there first again um and I just we just have to remember that you know when we get through the the problem we're currently in, then there's going to be something else, there is going to be something else. Uh, popping up, remember we 're not going to have true peace until we get to heaven so don 't don 't just think once I get through this, then everything 's going to be great sailing and don 't misunderstand me there's some great hilltop moments in our, uh, our 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 Christian walk, and of course, there are some deep valley moments in our lives, but you know most of it 's lived somewhere in the middle. And, uh, you know, we're always going to have these, the enemy trying to disrupt us, whether it's through this source or that source or those sources or through this way or that or something. And, you know, there, there's going to be some difficulty. And Nehemiah was going to look now to see who's somebody that w- understands this, and, but yet is willing to step up in faith and to, to move in, to do this work. And verse five tells us, then my God put it into my heart to gather the nobles, the rulers, and the people that they might be registered by genealogy. And I found a register of genealogy of those who had come up in the first return, and I found written in it, these, so he's quoting now, these are the people of the providence who came back from the captivity of those who had been carried away, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away and who returned to Jerusalem and Judah, everyone to his city. So, you know, Nehemiah knows that, again, the city needs to be occupied. And one of the first, you know, and the Lord's put on his heart, okay, we, get, we need to get people together. And obviously, uh, you know, See what the Lord is. The Lord wants us all to get together and see how we can move forward to to get people to move back into the city. And the, one of the first things the Lord reveals to Nehemiah was this old list. And I imagine you know he had to go through some of the archives and dust it off because I think this is about at this point, uh, off the top of my head, about you know 100 a hundred years after this had happened. This is a hundred years later after this list here. Now uh, again. Um, this is the same list that we find in Ezra chapter two. So obviously, we're not going to go through all the names here. But uh, again, uh, everybody had kind of moved into the suburbs, and and so he's looking for those people that you know that God wants to use, and God wanted to use them. And this list comes up now. Here's a, a map. And you can see kind of Jerusalem's in the center there. And then all the cities around there, particularly in that the, the center of that map, because the, the rest of it is kind of the, the area of the enemies. But they would move into all those cities. Those are the cities listed uh, from the people coming back from when Ezra, the first Zerubbabel, remember we got that in Ezra chapter 2. They they came back with Zerubbabel as the first one when orders went forth to rebuild the temple and gave them the permission by uh, the by Cyrus to to go back and, and to rebuild the temple, these people came back in that group and they settled in in all those towns there. And um, I, I think when you know the Lord directed Nehemiah to this list, uh, he he knew that these people were people of great faith. Now they were they were the. Grandparents, maybe great grandparents uh, of of those that were there. and I guess it's possible that maybe that some were alive or or some at least you know were pretty close to those that had come back. And, and he pulls up this name of people and reads it because they were willing to go back to the land. These people were like Abraham, who was willing to leave his home and move as God had led them to, to led him to to the promised land. He was leaving the Ur of the Chaldees and, and moving in, in a very similar uh, you know area to the to to the promised land uh, doing that. It was just kind of like an, an Abraham move. You know they were willing to step out in faith and trust God. And yes, they would leave behind, you know, security maybe of their jobs that they had and leaving behind friends and family, families and maybe even homes that they had purchased or land or other things to move out and step out in faith and trust the Lord uh, and, 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 and go back to the land as God called them to. So I think when, he, when, when the Lord directs Nehemiah to this list, he's saying, hey, listen, don't forget you know, your grandparents, your great-grandparents in, in this list here uh, that are named here, you know, that are part of your family, saw, you know, and responded to the call of God. And they were willing to do that, even though it would cost them something. It, it, it would, some of them would probably cost them quite a bit. But they wanted to be. More, it was more important for them to be faithful to the Lord, being faithful to what He called them to do, and to move out and step out in faith and, and be at the center of God's will than anything else. Than any of those other things. You know, if they had put up on a on a whiteboard, you know, pros and cons. You know, the pros for moving the Promised Land and the cons for staying in Babylon. You know, I imagine the 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 pro list would be very short and the cons list would be very long. You, you know, oh, there's this, you don't know what you're going to, you know, if you're going to work, you know, all this, and, uh, you know, what the people are going to be like, you're going to have to work to rebuild everything because everything was destroyed, you know, the list be on and on. Anything good about it? Well, not a whole lot. I, you know, God wants me, you know, wants us back there, so okay, I'll we'll put that up there. And, uh, you know, that's about it, really. But they were willing to do that. And again, I always think that should encourage us too, you know, what what are we willing um, to do for the Lord when the Lord calls us? You know, that, that'll cost us something real. And these guys were willing to do it. And I think he starts with that list. Uh, so it would encourage the people in those days to make another step of faith. Now, it wasn't in my opinion, at least, is great of a step because they're not coming all the way from Babylon back. You know, they're moving from one of these cities and into Jerusalem, but still, on the left, they, it would be a, a big change for a lot of them. And, you know, they were willing to risk it all. And they didn't let all the reasons stop them. And again, we need to have those to look to as well. I think there's you know, great examples in our lives, you know, and people that we've read and heard. Of course, you can read some great books of people that have done great things for the Lord, and maybe you know some of those people as well. And, uh, you know, it's always great to be able to look back and say, oh, you know, this, this person was willing to do this, and they did this, and they did that. And it does really strengthen our faith, and, I, and that's a great thing. And as the Lord leads Nehemiah to this list of people, it strengthened the people and encouraged them as well. And so, if you look at all those names, again, they're the same thing that we talked about in Ezra chapter 2. And if you read down to the very uh, last sentence of the chapter... Uh, when the seventh month came, the children of Israel were in their cities. And so we know this happened about the seventh month or at the seventh month. So we just have some sense of when it was on the calendar year. And that's going to be important to what we're going to look at here in chapter 8. So again, the call goes out. Uh, Let's bring the people in. Uh, let's, let's bring everybody in here, especially the nobles and the leaders, and, and, and see who's willing to trust the Lord and move back into the city and be a part of the great work that God wants to do here in Jerusalem. And so now the wall is complete and everything is done. The outside work is done, maybe we would say. And now we'll see another work happen in chapter 8. That on the inside. And it's time now for the people to be built up in the Word of God, for them to be strengthened, and of course for them to be strengthened to willing to to step out and and trust the Lord more. And there, you know, the people have been in the land. A lot of them, as we read through Ezra, remember, kind of had one foot in the world and one foot, you know, in, in, in doing what God wanted. They had kind of married outside uh, the Jews. They had been involved in a number of things, and so. Uh, you know, now it was time to do this work on the inside to make sure that they were always all of one heart and built up in the Word of God. And so, now it was the seventh month, and verse 1 says, Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. Now this play, this water gate was you know where the guyhon spring was remembered by Hezekiah. we read about it he he had it filtered into or had it uh, uh tunneled into Jerusalem way back when, and uh this was the pool of Siloam. We read about it in the New Testament with Jesus healing uh a person there and so this is where the water pretty much was for the city and probably it was the biggest area open area in the city at that time and was able to hold, um, you know, all the people that came. And again, it doesn't tell us how many uh, came, but, you know, it says all the people gathered together. So, I don't know, um, you know, those that came back to the land were about, in that last chapter, about 50,000, course, that was quite a few years earlier, so let's just say for round numbers, and I, I don't even know why I'm giving you a number because it's just kind of a stab, but now there's like, let's say there's a hundred thousand people there, and I think that's a reasonable estimation there. So we're talking a large crowd. I just want you to get one sense here, and, and Ezra brings out the Bible to read, we'd say, and it was probably the first five books of Uh, of Moses, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, because those are the books of the law. So, Ezra, you know, I'm calling all the people in, and Ezra was, again, like uh, the, the, the scribe, the spiritual leader. He knew the Word of God. We've talked about him, and so Nehemiah has him set up. We need to teach the people what the Bible says, what the Word of God says, and so he breaks out this scroll. And here's a picture of a scroll, if that helps you give some idea of what a scroll looked like. And of course, he probably had multiple scrolls. If it's the five books of Moses, uh, you know, or one big scroll, it doesn't say how he had it, but you know, he had this big scroll. So you imagine, you know, you'd have to have a, a big place to to put it down and read it. I imagine, a bigger than a pulpit like here. But he gets Ezra to read. God's word. And verse two says, so Ezra the priest brought out the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. So the people came with one heart to hear what the Lord had to say. And of course, Nehemiah called them there and the Lord had moved in his heart to gather everybody here. So, So they're all there. I love that. And it seems like everybody who could understand, that doesn't seem, everybody could understand was there. So kind of in my estimation, you know, kind of teenagers and older. Now back then they probably were a little bit more mature, so maybe it was a little bit younger. But those that could understand, you know, he's going to read the Word of God to them. And if he did this to a five-year-old or a six-year-old, you know, they're going to just get start getting bored real quick. And, you know, they're going to start playing with this and they're going to poke their brother or their sister or they're going to start, you know, playing in the dirt or whatever, you know how that's going to be. They'd be pretty distracted. So they, they weren't part of the congregation here. Um, and uh, that, that's why really we have children's ministry at church. It's just so important that they're reached at their level with what they can understand and the parents uh, and the older people, you know, older teenagers and kids at, at the level that they can understand. Because if not, they'll, they'll just get bored. If you teach to five or six years old, then the adults are, you know, are, aren't going to get anything out of it. And if it, by the the opposite is true, vice versa, then then you know the young ones aren't going to get something out of it. I think it's so important that you know that you know you always allow the children to go to children's ministry. And some parents like to. Hang on. Why can't we bring our kids in? Because, you know, I, I don't know why. And I guess if you went to a new church the first few times to get them used to it, but eventually they, they need to go. Because if not, they're going to be like you when you're in church when you were a kid, right? And, you, you know, your mom's going to constantly, your dad's going to be constantly trying to keep you entertained or settled down uh, because you're not getting anything out of it. Well, that's what they were doing here way back then. So everybody that could understand was there. And then, notice this in verse 3. Then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday before the men and the women and those who could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of Allah. So, you know, I don't know if this helps you get an idea, these pictures of a sense of how it was going down, but basically... He read from six a m till noon, you know the beginning of the day, so it was probably a six hour church service. Now you think I might teach for a long period of time. This was six hours probably, or, or something close to that. And you notice what was that? Oh man, you know, they can't get much out of it. Notice what it says there at the end of verse three. They didn't get uh, fall asleep. They didn't get bored. They were attentive to what was being said. And we're going to see that they're going to respond to it so you know that they were paying attention and you know the Holy Spirit was moving through all this as we'll see here in a little bit. They were paying attention. Now, don't misunderstand me. Sitting in one place and hearing one person talk for six hours, let's say, uh, you know, would be pretty difficult. So I, I think it went down maybe a, a little different than Ezra just sitting there and reading it for six hours straight. And let's 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 see how it kind of went down, if you would. So Ezra verse four says the scribes stood on a platform of wood which they had made for the purpose, and beside him at his right hand stood. Uh, these six guys, and you can read their names, and on his left hand were these seven guys and you can read all their names, they're right there. So what they had done was that, the, you know, uh, the, the, uh, Nehemiah and the leaders had this platform built, especially so the people could see. So the people are out there and he wanted to make sure that everybody could hear his voice and see what was going on. Uh, and again, that's why many churches just have that platform up there, right? We had a platform up there. You put the pulpit, it's a little bit above. Everybody from every place and every angle could see what's going on up, uh, up uh, on the platform. It's just to give everybody a good view and so they could see and hear and be a part of everything that's going on. And then Ezra again had um, uh, on his right hand, he had six men. And on his left hand, he had seven guys. And uh, again, I it doesn't tell us exactly who they are. We can maybe trace one or two of them, but I believe they just represented the, the the spiritual leadership and the and the leadership of the people. In other words, they were all kind of standing together for this. Hey, let's all stand, you know, what this what Ezra's doing, what Nehemiah has done here, it represents everything that's important. To us as well. And we are the, we are the people, we're the leaders of the people, we're the ones we know that you look to for many areas, whether it was judges for making determinations, you know, they, were act, they, you know, they would act as judges when there was a, a court case we'd say, or, or this or that, or dispute, or legal transactions, and other things that needed to be done. And uh, they were all there together, up up on this platform, basically saying, "Hey, we're we're all in this together." And I want you to stop and just think for a second. Can you imagine living in a place where the mayor of our city and all the city councilmen, all the judges, you know, the chief of police, the city attorney, the city. Um, Uh, manager, uh, you know, um, all those people of any kind of prominence or leadership, as well as, you know, pastors from the church, all got together and, you know, wanted to be a part of what God was doing and the Word of God being opened and, you know, when everybody was on the same page it's just kind of hard to imagine, isn't it? Our, our our society is so far from that and, you know, so far that they, you know, they push back, you know, they twist what the Constitution and our founding fathers had intended, you know, the ah church, separation of church and state. They love to say that. I mean, the, the whole point of all that was to keep the state or the government out of the church's business, not to keep the church, in the government's business, that was allowed, no problem. But you weren't allowed to have a government that ruled over what happened in the church. That was the Founding Fathers' idea, obviously. And, of course, people today now say, oh, you can't even get that together. They don't even want anything close like that. I mean, can you imagine how cool that would be? Just to see that everybody just had that heart for God and, and wanted the Word to be taught and everybody t- to learn from it and they, and they had their support behind it. Man, it'd be pretty amazing to be a, a part of that. And as we'll see, it really was amazing um, to represent that. And I, again, it just puts a great we're all in this together kind of a thing for all the people that had, that had gathered. And for those that are going to make those steps of faith and those are going to be a part, those are going to listen to what God has to say and, and, and be willing to, to sacrifice or just to be a part or whatever that, whatever that is. They all had a part to play in it, certainly. It wasn't just a few, it was everybody. But, but again, others would have special callings from the Lord, and, and they're all in this together. So he's up there, those people are next to him. The law's out there, it's being read. Verse 5, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above them when he opened it, and all the people stood up. And Ezra, verse 6, Bless the Lord, the great God, then all the people answered, Amen and Amen, while lifting up their hands, and they bowed uh, their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Now picture this. So it seems like when Ezra, you know, has all these guys up here, all the people are there, they're all listening, they can all see. He opens up this scroll, or, or the book as it says here, and, you know, and, and, and again, as he begins to read maybe the first few words and teach the people you know what what happened you know the people all stood up stood up because the word of god was being read now it's i don't know when it all changed and where it all went wrong but I'm always standing, and you guys are always sitting. I, I I don't know what happened here, but you know, well, we even see that in the New Testament. You'll see that Jesus, you know, will call his disciples together, and he'll sit down and teach them. You know, the teacher in those times, back to these times, and even before that, would sit down, and those that were hearing would actually stand up. Now, again, there's some churches, and you've probably been to some of them. They will have a Bible reading maybe before service, or at, before, after worship, before the you know the word goes out, and they'll read a passage of scripture, and then they'll have everybody stand and sit down. But, but, but again, you know, I I just like this because when they start hearing the word word of God, they stand up in, in reverence, and, and and then you know there was this great, amen, amen. They're lifting up their hands. They're Kind of all in awe together that we're all here, and they kind of worship the Lord, and they're so happy they got to this place, and and the walls all done, and all this is happening, and all the work of God is going on. Now the Word of God is being here. We're in the city together, hearing from the Word of God. We're all gathered here, and and now we're going to hear again the Word being read, and they just you know are excited. They all stand up in reverence, and then somehow you know the people just. They, they all started worshiping the Lord together. They all started lifting up their hands and then they all bowed down together. They they're just you can see the one heart of all the people here. I, mean, I, I imagine it was amazing to be a part of this. They were just so excited to see what God was doing and his word being read and uh, what he was doing within the nation and within each of their individual lives, and so they kind of just break out into this time of worship uh, as nehemiah i 'm sorry as Ezra just begins to read the scriptures. Now verse seven tells us a little bit more, and also Jeshua Benaniah, and you can read these thirteen names there, and the Levites, Pelleiah. And the Levites helped the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave sense, and they helped them to understand the reading. Now, again, I I think verse 8 is such a key, and if you'd like to highlight or underline, I think that's one of those great scriptures here. To, to point out, you know, what was going on here. Now, uh, again, Ezra and those teachers did was to help people understand what the Bible said. Now, 13 of them were named, but it also says in other Levites. And this is how I think it went down. At least, you know, it doesn't tell us, but in my own mind, I think this is how it, how it went down. And how it went down is that, you know, Ezra would read some... And since there's huge crowds, it, it seems like to me, these 13 guys plus others, and I don't know how many others there would be, you know, they, over that six-hour period of time, it seems like maybe they would get them into smaller groups or, or gather them into these places, and you know, they would just um, you know, start talking to the crowd and explaining all that was um, being read by Ezra there and what Ezra was reading. And I think that's just a, just a great format. They under, the, the, what basically they were trying to do was to make sure that the people understood what the Bible was saying. And I think that's, that's just the perfect format for church, right? Well, that's what we try to do here. We, ha, we, we try to, uh, we, we, ex, we not try, we expound on the Bible. We not, only, not, not only do we give what it says, but also what it means. And that's exactly what these guys were doing here, giving meaning so that it made sense, so that they understood what the Word was saying. So we read it here, and then we give, not only read what it says, but also give the meaning behind what it does say. And I just can't tell you how important that is, particularly in our day and age. And I think if you ask most evangelical pastors... Do you teach from the Bible? I think almost all of them, if not all of them, would say they teach from the Bible. Yes, I do. But most of them teach from the Bible and certainly they don't teach through the Bible. For them, you know, a lot of, in fact, most of the churches, you know, really, you know, they they have a topic that's in front of them. You know, they'll talk about marriage problems or social problems or current events or how to be a good employee or how to be a good parent, how to be a, you know, a a good neighbor, how to, you know, do this or do that or be this or not be that or stay away from these things or, you know, and they'll have a series or something like this. And then they'll fit scripture in, you know, put scripture in to fit their topic, and, you know, they'll give a, a verse here or a verse there to support what they want to talk about. Um, and, and again, but that's not what they were doing here and not how I feel like, you know, obviously the Lord wants us to do expositional teaching where we go through the whole Scripture. We just don't pick out a handful of topics in, in any given year and go through these topics and there's so much more of the Bible that people have never heard or don't even know that's there. It's kind of sad. And they just want to pick out a few verses that, that support what they have to say and go from there. I just always encourage you wherever life, you know, and the Lord takes you in this life to go, you know, that you go to a church that, that is just dedicated to reading through and teaching through the Scriptures, to get the whole counsel of God as Paul told Um, the Ephesian leader on that beach in the book of Acts, you know what, I I, I haven't failed to give you everything that the Bible teaches. And I think that's so important because there are some verses in there that, you know, aren't comfortable to talk about, yet God has them in there. And we need to know them. We need to know the heart of God on everything. And the only way to do it is to teach through the Bible. Because if you try to do a verse or two here and fit it into a topic... How much can you practically cover? And it's hard enough doing it when you're teaching through to cover a lot, let alone doing it that way. But again, back to here, the words being read, so we know what it says, and then what it means also. And when that combination happens, let's read how the people respond. And Nehemiah, verse 9, says, Who was the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to the people, said to all the people, I'm sorry, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. So, they're reading it. They're giving it meaning and understanding. They're telling them what it means and, and, and making sense of it and so they can understand the Word of God. And what begins to happen as they begin to hear the Word of God? They begin to mourn and they begin to cry because the Word of God is revealing things to them into their lives. It's, it's having an impact on them. I think we can all understand. I mean, there's been a number of times where I've been up here and just got choked up uh, over something. And I know you've been to church where you've kind of got choked up over or maybe, uh, you know, you started crying a little bit or, you, you know, you, you're singing a worship song or something and all of a sudden you begin to kind of cry. Uh, I, I, I think that's a great thing. You know, it's, it's, it, it shows the Holy Spirit is moving in, in, in your heart and in your life. And, uh, you know, these people, again, uh, uh, Again, one of the reasons that just proof of the Bible being true, it, because it, it works on the inside of our heart of who we are. It reaches down uh, in places that other things just can't even come close to. You know, in Timothy, where he talks about the Word of God is, you know, sharp and powerful, and, and a two-edged sword, you know, cutting asunder between, you know, Bones and marrow, and, and you know, uh, I'm misquoting this, and there's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. In other words, it's like this scalpel, we'd say today, and it can cut and separate things that can't be separated normally. You know, we can't even separate uh, our, our intents and, and, and you know, what, what are, what's behind our motives behind. Are are we intending to do this? Or was I really thought about this? Or it wasn't? I mean, it, it reaches down into those levels of things that really can't in the natural be separated. And that's why the word is powerful. It cuts, it exposes, it opens, and it does so much more. Because it's alive. And it's working. And all the people, you notice, they're all just like responding to this. Now, again... Uh, it seems like a lot of them have never heard the Word of God before or it had been a quite a, bit, a long period of time since they had. And now it's saying stuff that, oh, no, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, yeah, oh, wow. you know, it, it's just really working in their lives. And I think it's so important that we respond when the Word of the Lord reveals things in our lives. We need to respond to that. When He's talking to us and He speaks to us, whether it's at church, you know, whether you're reading your Bible on your own or you're praying, when He's speaking to us, you know, we need to respond. I like this quote. It says, "We see the Spirit of God moving through the teaching of the Word of God," and I think that again, that's one of the reasons we put an emphasis on teaching through the Scripture. The Spirit of God is moving through the teaching of His Word. And again, we put an emphasis on that because... Well, you see that in scripture so much, you know, all over, and certainly here is just an incredible example of that. You know, we could talk about all sorts of stuff and get the latest book out, and what's the latest thinking of this, and let me, you know, publish this book and get to this and read this book about what this person said and what they did and all this kind of stuff. And not to say those things can't be good or helpful in some way, but they are not even close in comparison with the Word of God. And, you know, the Spirit of God moving through the teaching of the Word of God. We've all experienced it and seen it, and we just need more of that. And certainly that's what's going on here. Now, what do you think the response is going to be now from the leaders? Well, I like this in verse 10. Then He said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared, For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I put that slide up there, and again, that's probably very familiar to most of us. But at this time where the Word of God is just reaching the people and they want to weep, and they're probably mourning over their sins or some of the things they certainly hadn't done, or man, this is so powerful. How come? You know, I just don't have more of this. I just need to have more of this in my life. I don't think it was all a bad thing, don't at all. Like it was all like this conviction, 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 conviction. I mean, again, how many times have we just got emotional, started crying over just a worship song or something that's reaching us, you know, when, when somebody's speaking the word out in some in some way at church or something, you got emotional over it. It's not all bad. And it's not all conviction. And yes, there's some of that, but there's certainly all uh, a a whole bunch of things. And, And what the leaders are saying here, listen, it's not a time to weep. It's a time to rejoice. We need to celebrate what the Lord has done, right? Rejoice with others, especially those that don't have much. You know, you came into the city and we gathered together and, and obviously, you know, there wasn't any McDonald's or In-N-Out or, uh, you know, Chick-fil-A's or whatever there to order their takeout meal. You know, if you're going to go into the city, you're going to bring your food with you. And of course, a lot of them are going to come into the city to offer sacrifices and bring sacrifices to the Lord and fellowship offerings. And so, you know, a lot of them were prepared to, to probably do all those things. And then there was others that had very little. And so if you have some, share it with those who don't. Because you're rejoicing at what God's doing and how He's working and His Word's going forth. And yes, there's some things that probably need to change and things that the Lord's speaking you to that He's moving you away from or moving you towards and in, in rejoicing at what he's, how he, far He's brought them as a, as a group of people. And we need to share. And again, I like this quote too, it it says this, our knowledge of our sin should never be bigger than our knowledge of Jesus as our savior. We are great sinners, but he is a greater savior. I thought that was really cool. Cuz just remember that yes, our sin will get us down, and yes, our sin will cause us to weep, absolutely. And but again, our sin is never bigger than our savior who is so much greater. And if we remember this, then I really believe the joy of the Lord will be our strength. The joy of the Lord, as it says again, will be our strength. How, how are you going to get through this? How are you going to make these changes? How are you going to step out in faith? How are you going to continue on with this? Whatever it might be. Well, you know, it's, it's going to be the joy of the Lord and thinking how great and how wonderful and awesome God, you know, our Heavenly Father is. And the joy that He brings to us will be our strength. He will see you through. He will lead and guide you. He will never leave you or forsake you. And all those verses that we know and have heard and and all the promises that we have of Him, that'll be our strength. And the things that need to change and get cleaned up and move in a different direction and put that aside and forget about those thoughts and those things and whatever it might be, however that looks, you know what? Just the joy of our Lord will be our strength through those things, to get through that. How might He, rejoicing in what, he, what He's going to do and what things will be like, you know, when, when we listen to Him and we're obedient? So don't cry about it. Don't get so down thinking that, you know, your sin is greater than, than everything else, but our Savior is so much greater. And so verse 11, the Levites quieted all the people down. Be still, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and rejoice greatly because they understood the words that were declared to them. Now again, in those days, to show mourning, you did that in a tangible way, right? We've read about that. You put on sackcloth like this burlap bags that would be uncomfortable. You put dust on you. You'd rip your clothes. They have these very tangible ways of showing mourning in, in those days. Said, don't do any of that. But allow the Word to change your heart. Don't just do the religious thing and don't just be grieved but allow the Lord, you know, or be so upset over your sin or the conviction that the Lord brings that it just kind of drives you into this lonely spot here. Um, rather, you know what? Rejoice in how good it is. And, and again, the people obeyed. It drove them to obey not into isolation or depression because they understood the word. And remember, when we understand what God's Word has to say, it always brings the correct response. It it does. And people come up with all kinds of crazy things of blame on the Lord, or say the Lord did this, or the Lord moved them in this way, or the Lord did all that. And if you've been around any time, you've probably heard some pretty wild things. But remember, at the end of verse 12, they rejoiced greatly because they understood the words that were declared to them. How important it is. And I'm speaking to you guys here on Wednesday night. Um, you know, again, that's teaching, preaching to the choir, because a lot of people thinking going to church on a midweek, pff, that's just crazy, right? But it just shows how important it is to you. And, and again, when we understand the Word, it always brings the, the right response, and it just rejoices. It does great things in our lives. It, it always has. It always will. And uh, we know that. So That's why we continue to look at it and study it. And learn from it. Well, you can take a breath. Whew, that was the end of the first day. <laughs> now verse 13 gives us the next day. And that's pretty much where we're going to end the, the the chapter here. But the next day is, right, um now the second day, uh, the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites were gathered to Ezra the scribe in order to understand the words of the law. Verse 14, And they found written the law which the Lord commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month and that they should uh, announce and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go out to the mountains and bring back olive branches, branches of oil trees and myrtle branches and palm branches and branches of leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So on day two, you know, as they're going through the word they read about what we call the Feast of Tabernacles. Well, what the Bible calls the Feast of Tabernacles, right? They, they, they're, they're hearing about some of these feasts that obviously they haven't been keeping. And now it's the seventh month, and they're reading about this celebration, this holiday, we would say, this feast, uh, again, called the Feast of the Tabernacles. And they're thinking, hey, the Lord's showing this to us. We should be doing this, but we're not. Let's check it out even further. And I think that's a great thing to do. You hear the Word of God. It moves in your heart. You know it's Him. And then so you spend time praying and you know reading your Bibles and seeking the Lord. Okay, Lord, is this what you want? Yeah, okay, we're looking at Your Word. Yeah, that's what it says. And and again, you know, they heard what they were supposed to do yesterday. And and now it's the seventh month. And uh, man, we're supposed to be keeping this, this celebration on the seventh month. And so, hey, we're hearing it. We, we, we're confirming it now. It's the next day. We, we got to put this in action. Let's get on it. It's the seventh month. Let's just do it. This is what we're supposed to do. And I like that because the word of God just moved them into this response of obedience. Yeah, this is what I want to do. People get kind of confused. You hear the Bible, you go to church, and man, they're going to tell me some stuff that I just don't want to do, that I'll have to do. Or if I become a Christian, man, it'll suck the fun and of everything out of my life and all these kind of things. And let me, let me remind us what we already know is that's so not true. When we're obedient and in the center of God's will, there's you know, no greater peace and joy and satisfaction and understanding purpose and and you know being in awe of how God good it, how good God is and we just rejoice in all that. And when we're obedient, there's just just nothing like it. We're in the center of God's will, nothing like it. When we're fighting Him, and moving away from it, and you know wanting to do our own thing, and, and you know trying to justify it in our own mind why it's a good thing, and you know trying to convince God God bless this, you know rather than God what's your will? No, I want you to bless what I'm doing. It's always backwards, right? They, we read about it. We're looking again the next day. Well, wow, yep, says it here. Let's just go do it. So, verse sixteen: the people went out and brought them and made themselves booths, each one on the roof of their house, or in the or in their courtyard, or in the courts of the house of God, or in the and in the open square of the Water Gate, and in the uh, open square of the Gate of Ephraim. Verse seventeen: so the whole assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and sat under the booths. For since the, t- since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, until that day, the children of Israel had not done so, and there was great gladness. So, they just we know it's here. Now, let's go do it, guys. Go out there and start cutting down the branches. Now, remember, this was in commemoration of what God had done. Their deliverance from Egypt... And how they marched through the wilderness, which was really supposed to be a little bit over a year and ended up being on a 40 year. But during those that time period, God took care of them. He delivered them and He provided for them. And just as they dwelt in tents, as they were moving through the wilderness into the promised land, they were supposed to make some sort of like, you know, little lean-to or little tent-like thing. Um, so that they would stay in there for seven days with their family. Hey, this is what our forefathers did. This is what your great-great-great-great-great-great-grandma and grandpa did, you know. Um, when they were coming out of Egypt, they looked up at the stars, you know. They, God provided them food every day, got water from the rock, and they had manna they could eat. Their clothes didn't wear out, you know. They didn't freeze to death or burn up by the sun in the desert. And so there were supposed to be great lessons for the whole family, like a week out family camp. You know, just talking about what the Lord had done and what He was doing. And the great lessons that they learned from the whole family. And and they're like, yeah, this is what the Lord wanted and we can do this too. And when they obeyed, it says they did it with gladness. A heart moved by the Lord, things done with gladness. When we allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us and we respond to that and we find, you know, find ourselves obedience, it's, it's just going to be done with gladness. It's never like, if you have to do something, I oh, have to. You know, I'm not saying you're always going to have a perfect attitude about everything. Certainly, we're not. But you know, when we know God's calling us and we're being faithful and we're doing that, you, you know, there's just there's this gladness there. There is this response to that. It's not misery. And if it is misery, then you should take a step back and say, Okay, Lord, is this really what you have for me? Because, you know, Philippians tells us "For it is God who works in us to both, you know, do His will and His way. He worked in our hearts to put His will in our hearts that we might desire to do that. And that's what He's doing here. Because it was being done with gladness. And let's finish at verse 18. So Also, day by day, from the first day until the last, he read from the book of the law of God, and they kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day there was a sacred assembly according to the prescribed manner. So they just continued on with what they were doing, keeping what God wanted to do with the feast and studying the word of God and learning from all that the Lord wanted them to do and learn from the feast of what he delivered, what he did for their forefathers and what he was doing with them in their lives today bringing them out of Babylon and bringing them back to the promised land as he also promised and taking care of them up to that very day. Because now they're in a city with the wall around and everything was taken care of and God was working and there was gladness. And yes, there was some sorrow and weeping, certainly, um, you know, uh, uh, but again, a mixture of of conviction and of sin and of uh, overwhelmingness of God's goodness and his love. And again, as we said, the joy of the Lord will be our strength. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this time again. May we just always have the heart to uh, hear from you and learn from you and uh, know that your word is powerful. You've preserved it for us, Lord. It's not some book we just kind of dust off the shelf and bring it uh, to church once a week or once a month or whatever, Lord, you you you've given it to us and we have it here. They had to wait for somebody to read it to them. What a blessing that we have that we we have it in front of it. And we could read it ourselves, and, and and we you know, and even some people in this world today would just give their right arm practically for a few pages of, of the Bible because they don't even have it in their language or they're just not allowed to have it. And yet we have so much and. Lord, we, we are thankful for that. And Lord, we also want to hear from you, Lord. And we want to be a part of all that you want to say through your word. And so, Father, may we just grow in our love and our knowledge of you, Lord. It, it will do, when we, we are in your word, it will, it will well up a response. It will well up uh, uh, teaching us your will and your way and learning more of who you are. It does so much, Lord. And so I pray that we'd always be those that hunger and thirst for it, Lord. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.